Welcome to the DC Bar Community's Law Student Podcast with your hosts, Sienna Hurd, 3L at American University, Washington College of Law, Elena Hoffman, 3L at the George Washington University Law School, and Dalali Daggedy, 4L at UDC David Clark School of Law. You're listening to Let's Brief It. Welcome back to Let's Brief It. Have you wondered what it's like to be a judge or wonder what's the process of becoming a judge? Fortunately, today we have the pleasure of speaking with a uniquely interesting judge, Judge Robert Rigsby, about his role to the bench. Judge Robert Rigsby has served as an associate judge of the District of Columbia Superior Court since 2002. Prior to his appointment to the D.C. Superior Court, Judge Rigsby served active duty from 1987 to 1992 in the United States Army Judge Advocate General Corps, or JAG Corps, as a prosecutor, defense attorney, administrative law attorney, international law attorney, law of war attorney, legal advisor to the multinational force and observers, and special assistant United States attorney for Tennessee and Kentucky. In 2009, Judge Rigsby made history by becoming the first sitting judge from the District of Columbia and the first military judge in the Army to deploy on a full-time basis to an active theater of war and was selected by the Judge Advocate General of the United States Army to serve as the sole military judge in Kuwait, Afghanistan, and Iraq. For his service, Judge Rigsby was awarded the Bronze Star Medal. In May 2014, Judge Rigsby retired from the U.S. Army after 33 years of service. Thank you very much for your service, Judge. Finally, Judge Rigsby has also served as an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland, University College, Bowie State University, and the University of the District of Columbia, David A. Clark School of Law. Judge Rigsby, thank you so much for being here today. We're very excited to have you as a guest. Well, I'm honored to be here, but you forgot my two best jobs, I think, and not in this order. I served as the attorney general right before I became a judge in 1999 under Anthony Wood, Mayor Anthony Williams, and the proud husband and father, husband of Judge Anna Blackburn Rigsby and the proud father of Julian Christopher Rigsby. You can't ever forget that. And where I'm from, I'm from a little town called Vallejo, California, right outside of San Francisco, where America's team resides called the San Francisco 49ers, Okay. But we all need to understand that's America's team, okay? So we can inter- interview now, <laughs> and, uh, and life goes on. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. No, okay. Judge, that was perfect. You know, we had Thank to you. give you something to introduce yourself. I, 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 can keep, I can keep going if you like. I can. No. <laughs> <laughs> we can take the next half an hour. We'll go ahead. Judge Rigsby, thank you for yes, being ma'am. here. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Thank you. Getting right into our first question, okay. which I have the honor to ask. When did you know you wanted to be a judge? Well, that's an interesting question. Never. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you know, Judge Blackburn Rigsby made, uh, she obviously she was a magistrate judge, a trial court judge, and now, you know, she's the chief judge. She made it appear uh, when she was a trial court judge, she made it look so easy. I don't know, anybody could do this, right? When I was the attorney general, I had never thought about being a judge, right? But let me go back to answer your question in chronological order. Uh, my brother and I were bad. I mean, we were bad kids growing up on the mean streets of Vallejo, California, population 37,000 people, right? So the, the several times that I was corrupted by my brother by shoplifting and like every 7-Eleven in Vallejo and getting caught after we shoplifted, we wind up going to court and seeing judges, Right. And nobody in the courtroom looked like me, but the lawyers didn't even look like me. And I thought, 
wow, this is interesting. Do you have to be an old white man to be a judge or a lawyer? Okay, I, I just always thought that, right? And so finally, the judge, one of the judges who's now, well, he's passed on, but he was a great friend. And one of the older lawyers said, you talk so much and make no sense that you should be a lawyer and a judge one day. Then I thought, okay, <laughs> you talk so much and make no sense that you should be a lawyer and a judge. You know, you presuppose that judges don't make sense. Now I know that they were absolutely right. But a kid with parents from, my, my dad was from Huntsville, Texas. He had a third grade education. A mother's from Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and she had a high school education. They met in Northern California during World War II. My dad went over to Europe and fought in the war and they settled down in California. My brother wrote a book about our dad called Lessons Learned from a Third Grade Dropout. I hope I get royalties, Ricky, from this, by the way. But, <laughs> but, but you know, coming from a background like that, you, you never, ever think that you can become a lawyer or a judge because, you know, you, I grew up in a great neighborhood, a great town, but most of the African-Americans and people of color, they were blue collar workers. So my father sent me to a boys club called the Continental Omega Boys Club in Vallejo, California, started by now my fraternity brothers the, from the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. My father turned me over to the head of the club by a gentleman who's gone by the name of Fillmore Graham and said, I don't know anything about that college and stuff, but I want you to help my boy get into college. And so that was the first time I saw a big, strong African-American gentleman who told us what we could do, not what we couldn't do, and said, you know, we're going to get you into college and law school and all this other stuff. And up until that point, I never thought about college. You know, it's like, okay, well, you graduate from high school and go on. But that little town of Vallejo, California, invested so much in my brother and I that we had to go to college, right? There was, there was never a choice. I didn't know what college was. Now, 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 juxtapose that with my wife growing up in Jamaica, Queens, New York, where her mother's a judge, her father's a politician. They were the Cosby family when the Cosby family was popular. We grew up on the other side of the Cosby family. So when you, when you ask that question, there was never a clear path. Mr. Graham, my mother and father, and everybody else in my hometown always would tell me to do what you can and let God do the rest. You, you, you don't come up with a plan because every time you come up with a plan, God laughs at you, right? It was the, the Brown family of Vallejo, California, a bunch of entrepreneurs and doctors and lawyers that said, we're going to shepherd you through this process. It was one job after another. I went to college on an ROTC scholarship, and it was one job after another that got me to back to, to D.C. And like I said, I, I didn't ever intend upon becoming a judge, but it was just, you know, leaving active duty, uh, meeting my wife in Washington, staying in Washington, going to the attorney general's office, uh, becoming a federal prosecutor. I was an assistant U.S. attorney in Virginia. Uh, then finally, you know, Mayor Williams asked me to be the attorney general. I had never planned on any of this at all. Uh, I had a mentor by the name of John Payton, who was a big civil rights lawyer. He was the president of the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. He was responsible for, he and Sharon Pratt-Kelly, and again, Mayor Williams, they were responsible for telling me what, again, what we could do, what we could accomplish and all that stuff. So when the time came to apply to be a judge, I was profoundly grateful, but I was, I think I was 40, 41. I was the attorney general at 37. And I can tell you that you never realize what you can't do when people are telling you what you can do, right? So, you know, th that doubt kind of goes away. And so they kept telling us to keep striving to be the best that you can be and be all you can be. Pardon the pun, that was a, you know, an army thing. And so 
my path to the bench was just a little bit different than 99.9% of my colleagues' path. I'll, I'll tell you this. Before you confirmed as a judge, you have to have a staff hearing with Senate staffers, okay? And so it was real funny. I walked in the room, and Dick Dur Senator Durbin was the chair of the, the committee, but his uh, chief of staff was running it. He had 10 senators, chiefs of staff, that were there trying to grill us, right? And so I sat there, and he, I forgot the gentleman's name, said, I don't have any questions. And this young person stood up and said, we have lots of questions about your past. And all I could think of was, okay, well, let me see. Which shoplifting case is she going to ask me about? Okay, I was like, okay, I got to come up with an answer. The first question is, and, and keep in mind, this is post 9-11, right? We want to know why you broke the law. And, you know, Senator Durbin's chief of staff said, no, no, we don't want to know. You, you want to know. And I said, I looked at her and said, which, which time are you talking about? I'm just kind of curious. Because in the back of my mind, there's no way I'm going to get nominated to be a judge. I'm not going to get confirmed. So, you know, let's just go for it. This was the question. This was post 9-11. Country was at war. Uh, and I was in the reserves. And so she said, you did 21 days of military duty, active duty. You did 21 days of military active duty. I said, you're probably right. You know, the law says you're only supposed to do 15 days. And I just kind of looked at her and went, I I'm sorry, say that one more time. Here I am geared up to talk about, okay, all these, let me go back and research, you know, in my mind what I did and what I did. And it says, you're telling me I broke the law. I said, you're right. You got me on that one. Okay. <laughs> and I said, what am, I, what am I supposed to say? Okay. Okay. Well, one, we have one more question about one major question about the number of lawsuits filed against me. I said, the number of lawsuits filed against me? She wasn't a lawyer. And so she said, my records indicate, it's one of those gotcha moments. You've been sued 17,153 times in the last two years. Can you explain this? Can I explain it? I'm like, I've been sued 17,000. It didn't dawn on me until she said it went, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I said, you're absolutely wrong. I haven't been sued 17,280 times. That number today is probably up to 18,000 times. She said, you're proud of that? said, I'm very proud of that. Tomorrow will probably be 19,000 times. And she said, well, 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 how do you reconcile this? I said, it's easy. When people file lawsuits against the city of Washington, they sue the mayor and the attorney general. Guess what? My name is on every one of those lawsuits. So you're absolutely right. I've been sued as of yesterday, 17,000 times. And it's like it's like the, the old McDonald's sign. We serve a billion people. Tomorrow that number goes up, okay? And so... I don't know how it started going down this road other than the fact that three things. One, it, it was interesting because I had to tell at the, son, at the time our son was five about daddy's bad past. And he would tell everybody that his dad was bad and his uncle Ricky, my brother's a PhD now. Oh, they were really bad people because they used to shoplift, you know. But it, it was, I tell people all the time, that's, that's your past. Don't let your past define who you are now. Be open and honest about it and then just deal with it, okay? And so we all come from a different background. Again, you know, the running joke in Washington, D.C., you know, my wife graduated first of the class at Duke and first of the class at Howard. I don't know if it's called cum laude or summer cum laude, whatever. I graduated thank you laude. Okay, so, you know, it was one of these things where, you know, we're, we're all different, but we all arrive at the same place through hard work and mentorship. Okay, hard work. I had a, a lot of great mentors in the United States Army. Once I got to Washington, D.C., I had a, a lot of great mentors that helped get me to the next step, even when I didn't know what that next step was.
Wow, right. did that answer any of the questions or all of the questions? That that answered quite a good set of questions. But Sienna, I have another great question for you. So with a whopping 33 years of service in the military, yes. what role did your Army experience play in your road to the judge's bench? And what lessons did you learn? You know, when, when I got commissioned as a United States Army second lieutenant, which was the proudest day for my parents, because my father never saw a Black Army officer before. He grew up in the military. And at 20 years old, you are vested with the responsibility to lead troops, to lead young men and women into combat, right? And that was our job to be a leader, 24-7 uh, to be a leader. At 20 years old, you know, it's like, I look at some 20-year-olds now and they can't really lead themselves from the courtroom to outside of the courthouse. And now I have 40 people to tell me, or for me to tell exactly what to do. Three stories. One is I, I served as a platoon leader, a company commander, a brigade commander, and all this other stuff. I think command is important in terms of uh, the only mistakes that I tell my law clerks all the time, the only mistakes that you can make, you can either get somebody killed or, or kill somebody. You can't get that back. You can't get those back at all. I think the traits that you learn or you're taught in the military are transferable skills, right? To treat everybody with dignity and respect, be completely focused at what you do, and try to be kind to people because you, you have to meet people where they are. And you have no idea, you know, what people are going through. You know, I've had soldiers that graduated from Harvard that enlisted into the army that I was responsible for. They were privates. I've had people from the inner cities of Chicago that used to run with gangs. So you have to be able to understand people. That is not different from being the attorney general or a judge. You see people, you know, through from every walk in life, and you have to be able to deal with everybody from different walks of life, I should say. Uh, it is so important that we learn how to lead, to manage your calendar, manage your doctor, to manage people, and to be compassionate. Because again, you never know what a person is going through. I was so proud to be a military officer when I deployed to Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan, because we saw America's best there, America's best kids that were stationed in, uh, uh, in the war. One thing I will remember, I will never forget this. I was in, I think I was in Baghdad. And I saw 100 kids, soldiers, outside playing football, men, women, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. And they were throwing the, the football around. And when I got out of the car, I was a colonel at the time. Uh, they called the, everybody to attention. And I wanted to see what they were doing because they were about to go prosecute the war. And I said, hi, guys. I looked, looked at this young lady and said, where are you from, soldier? And she said, sir, I'm from Chicago. I said, okay, home of the Chicago Bears. And she said, yes, sir, proudly. I said, so you like high school football? Good. I went on to somebody else. Where are you from, soldier? I said, he said, sir, I'm from Dallas. I said, okay, you like prison work release teams, right? And the young lady looked at me and said, sir, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Vallejo, California, like nine miles from Napa. She said, oh, do you like cheese with your wine, sir, when you're watching football? <laughs> I was like, these could have been high school kids or college kids. Well, a horn sounded, right? They had their uh, their, jack their jackets off. They had just had their shirts on, their T-shirts on. Horn sounded. They put on their flag jackets, their helmets. They loaded up onto vehicles to go outside the gate to prosecute the war. These are kids. These are kids. They could have been in law school. They could have been in med school. They could be interns. These kids, America's best, was going out to prosecute a war. That young lady... Uh, looked at me when she got into her Humvee, 
uh, and said, sir, we're gonna finish this discussion, this conversation when we get back from the war. The war was no more than about a mile away from us. You asked me, how did the 33 years in the military prepare me for this? It puts life into perspective. It puts everybody's life in perspective. It put my life in perspective. Because those kids, they were America's best and they are America's best. And I'm very, very proud. Judge, that that was very, very touching. So thank you for I don't, it's not in my bio. And I don't know if you you know this. I came back, I was paralyzed for a number of months. I had to relearn how yeah. to walk. Yeah. And um, and I can tell you there was an NBC reporter that asked, you know, it was another gotcha moment, right? Uh, if you had it to do over again, would you go on over? I said, absolutely. In fact, if I get up again, I'm able to walk. I'd, go, I'd gladly go back and serve our country, the country that invested so much in my brother and I. I would gladly go back. And, and it's one of these things where that I have no regrets whatsoever. There's so many wonderful young men and women out there who volunteered to be there. And I just wanted to be a part of that. So you took me there. And it, <laughs> what, what, I just, what I just felt was it was 10 years ago and it seems like it was yesterday, right? Some of those kids never came home. But to a person, when I was rehabbing at Walter Reed, I tried to get on the treadmill, you know, shortly after my injury. And uh, I flew off the trip. Yeah, I'm big, bad, you know, you know, guy, football player, <laughs> airborne. So I'm like getting on the treadmill, I'll put it on seven and I flew like a hundred yards back, right? So I was laying on the ground. My eyes started welling up, right? It's like, what happened to me, right? These two sergeants walked by me and said, sir, you need to get up, get your ass back on that treadmill right now. And I got up and looked back. I said, can't you see that I'm, before I could get paralyzed out, I realized that they had no legs, right? They were getting on the treadmill, trying to get back to their respective units, right? For the love of your country, for the love of your brothers and sisters, that's what being in the military does. That's what being a public servant is. There's no difference between the oath I took as a United States Army officer in 1981 and the oath I took as the Attorney General and the oath I took as a judge on uh, July 26th of 2002. There's gotta be something in you that you're willing to sacrifice for our country, for our community, for our country. That's a beautiful and answer, Judge. It's a real answer. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a passion and touching. Is <laughs> How do we ask the next question <laughs> after such a wonderful answer? So thank you. And again, thank you for your service. And thank you. just the way well, you well, answered it. You know, you don't serve. Your entire family serves, right? You know, Anna, Judge Blackburn, Rigsby, Julian serve. And I think without a, a very supportive family, then there's no way I'd be here today. There, there's absolutely no way I'd be here today. You know, with everything you just stated, and I think it's a really great segue for us to, in a form, conclude and get to, like, what advice do you have for current law students with everything you've seen young service member going out to war and here where there are young lawyers coming out, you know, perhaps following your full step. What advice do you have for students interested in pursuing the pathway to the bench or just pursuing law and public service as you just described? My advice would be to do it. <laughs> okay. Just like my, my advice would be every job I've ever had has been in the public service. I've never done private practice. I, I've never ever done private practice. You know, Anna started off at Hogan, what used to be Hogan and Hartson. But my mother and father always told us that the, the, greatest, the greatest love you have is for your country, to do everything you can to make your country a better place, your city a better place. 
And so, you know, again, it went from the Army to being an assistant U.S. attorney to being a deputy attorney general to being an attorney general to now. You don't get rich doing this, but if you're seeking monetary reward, you're doing this for the wrong reasons, right? If you're willing to make a, a difference, to make an impact, then come do something, right? You know, volunteer with legal services, uh, work for the attorney general's office, the U.S. attorney's office, the public defender service. I guarantee you there is no greater reward than to help other people in your community, okay? There, there is no greater reward. And obviously, I would say try the United States Army JAG Corps because without the Army, there's no way I become the Attorney General at 37 years old, okay? Because I think Mayor Williams was looking for somebody that had some sort of leadership experience. The military trains you, again, to be mentors and to accept mentorship, right? They train you to make an impact, not just an impression, right? An impression will come or go, but that impact is somewhat lasting. So when people ask me the distinction, you know, young lawyers will ask me all the time about, should I go to a large firm or should I do public service? You know, my response has always been do public service. You got to make a difference. You got to take what you've learned in, in your college and law school and apply it in a real sense. I think it is our, our moral obligation to make wherever we live a better place. What better job is to do it in the public sector? Thank you, Judge Rigsby. And we actually have one more question because I'm very curious about this. As I was reading through your biography, uh, how and why did you become admitted to practice as a judge in the Hawaii Supreme Court? Be <laughs> well, right now in Hawaii, it's it's probably 80 degrees. Okay, <laughs> No, that was going to be my first duty assignment in, in the Army. And so uh, I'm from California and I thought, well, I might as well take the bar there. I'd been there a couple of times before. So that's how I got there. So I just thought, let me be a part of the community. And so I'm a part, obviously I'm a member of the Washington DC bar, but I'm a, I'm a proud member of the Hawaii bar as well. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you so much. Judge Rigsby, it has been an honor and such a great- That's it? I can go you. on for another 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we know you, you have so much interesting <laughs> content and truly it has been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your journey to the judge's bench with us and with all of our listeners. I'm sure that our listeners took great notes and uh, will, as you suggested, just go and do it. So until the next episode, thank you for listening to Let's Brief It. Thank you. The DC Bar Law Student Community strives to engage and support law students before you graduate and expose you to the tangible benefits of joining the DC Bar and DC Bar communities. Curated programming allows law students to participate in substantive content programming, leadership trainings, networking with practicing attorneys in fields of interest, writing opportunities, and other activities designed to expand your legal education beyond the classroom. Make an investment in your legal career by joining the law student community. To learn more, visit us at www.dcbar.org or email communities at dcbar.org. We look forward to hearing from you.